Hello, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Communications and Insights Executive at AMBA and BGA. I was lucky enough to speak to Ross Brownlee, whose company, AQAI, is making waves by measuring individual and teams' adaptability quotients. This can then be used to help teams unlearn and also to be more resilient in order to be more adaptable. Ross also spoke about his book and gave us a sneak peek into his new book, which will be released later next year. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career, please? Yeah, sure can. Um, You know, my career, uh, if you can call it that, you know, collection of various events started really in design. So I studied graphic design, worked at a few different agencies before in 2000 was my sort of first venture into the entrepreneurial world. I set up my own agency and had a roller coaster ride for just over 17 years, um, working for lots of different organizations from big corporates to the UN on various new product launches, innovation, and different marketing initiatives. And then in the latter part, doing a lot of facilitation, speaking, book writing, all around innovation and exponential technology. And then where I find myself now uh, in probably my happiest place, which is creating solutions that help humans be a better version of themselves. And that's what we're doing at AQAI. Amazing. Um, So can you tell me a little bit more about what AQAI does? Yeah, so AQAI, people might have heard of IQ, our intelligence, our general intelligence and and cognitive abilities, our EQ, our emotional intelligence. And now an emerging area is AQ, our adaptability intelligence. So what we're doing is we're measuring that and then more importantly, helping people, teams and organizations improve it. So... I understand that low levels of AQ can lead to burnout. And I was wondering why there's such high levels of um, burnout in the modern business world in which we work. I think it's interesting, you know, burnout in different cultures has been either on the rise or becoming pandemic uh, levels. A lot of it relates to our environments, what kind of pressures we're under, self-imposed or ones by external changes, such as COVID has brought about, you know, an accelerant of a lot of change and shift. So burnout is when, you know, we're not able to perhaps meet our own or others' expectations and we just lose you know the ability to function so i think technology is playing a part of that expectation is playing a part of it competition just in order to survive let alone thrive i think that's putting immense pressure on people to perform um so i'm really interested to know how you measure um an individual or a team's um adaptability quotients or aq It's interesting when we went to look at how do we measure the adaptability of people, what already exists, what kind of science and research is there. And we've invested over half a million pounds and a couple of years to define a model of adaptability. We have done this in three pillars. So we have ability, character, and environment. So we call it our ACE model. And it's really answering three kind of questions. So our ability is looking at how and what And to what degree do I adapt as an individual? And then our character, who adapts and why? And our environment, when does someone adapt and to what degree? So 
inside each of those main pillars, we've got these sub-dimensions and things that maybe people might be more familiar with, things like grit or resilience or our mindset, or even characteristics like hope or motivation style. And when it comes to environment, things like our team support or our work stress or our emotional health. So what we do is it's done via a conversational chatbot. Uh, it takes about 25 minutes and it's a range of different questions based on about 70% of it is based on existing science and research that's really well validated and some top scientists over many years that have you know gone deep into these different dimensions. And about 30% of it is our pioneering work where we're looking into new, more emerging areas that might inhibit or impact one's ability to adapt. Once you've done that conversation, then you get an instant dashboard, which gives you a report in each of those areas. So where you are on different scales or where you are in relation to global averages. And then what's really fascinating when it comes to a team is we aggregate that data. So as long as you've got more than five individuals, uh, then we can aggregate it. And then we can start looking at the distribution and the correlations between these and two interesting areas that we've been working on is what can we predict? So taking some of the um, information in those conversations and the results across the different dimensions, we can start to look at a change readiness or perhaps even a reskill index. So it's a really exciting emerging area that we're doing in terms of assessing how someone adapts and navigates to change. My understanding is that when you have these um, like dashboards, you then help teams and individuals unlearn to be able to like learn to be more um, adaptable. Is that kind of right? And um, how does the ability to unlearn help an individual's or team's performance? Yeah, it's an interesting concept, you know, this uh, phrase and term unlearn and unlearning. There's a great book by Barry O'Reilly called Unlearn. And if we think of it this way, the skill and the ability to stop doing something when new information has come in that might now make it irrelevant. So what we've noticed in both individuals and teams is often this immune system comes up and says, no, that's not the way to do something. We have always done it this way. So we protect past knowledge. And that past knowledge might be a process. It might be a product. It might be a service. And so when new things start to happen, we want to protect it. We want to look after it and continue doing it. And it can be those very things that stop us achieving innovations and breakthroughs. So it's the ability to not just forget something, it's intentional re-looking and reassessing information and the way that you've done something to unlearn it given the new context. So when we have new inventions, new possibilities, whether that could be software or behaviors or new discoveries so that we can stop doing things that are no longer working and experiment more. So it's it's one of the hardest things to, to do for individuals and organizations is to intentionally let go of something. And I'll just cover two, two parts. It's easier to let go when something stops working. You know, when we and no longer getting the results that we were expecting or getting before. The hard bits to unlearn is when we're getting a little bit of an applause, when we're getting some sense of success, that might be an applause in terms of a pat on the back by our line manager or a sale or a check that's being written for something or that we got 
you know, a result, but it was perhaps a little bit longer, took a bit more time to achieve it, but we're still getting somewhere. How could we unlearn and let go of those? Because just around the corner is a faster, better, quicker uh, way of achieving those results. And so that's a, a critical component to our adaptability is to let go of things in the way that they worked prior. That's really interesting because they obviously humans are creatures of habit. So um, getting out of habits is always a bit difficult. It is. And you're quite right about habits. And we can we can actually build a habit of unlearning. And it's linked to our curiosity and experimentation. You know, what have we done today for the first time? Are we continually looking to explore new ways of doing things whilst equally exploiting current knowledge? And that's uh, really linked to mental flexibility so that we can hold these two opposing thoughts at the same time to explore something new and exploit something that we have already. And it's the tension and dance between those points and being able to do that relevant to the new context. So whilst we might have learned a skill or process that would last us maybe for many months, years, or generations, what's happening now is because of the convergence of different technologies and different collaborations, the a lot of these are being sped up. So a way of doing something that was successful before suddenly becomes superseded very quickly. And unless you're constantly looking to explore and you're just in the exploit, you can be left behind. And that's the challenge. I guess talking about changes and technology, but I guess one of the big changes is coronavirus and how it's impacted our work and the new normal. Um, do you think that people have been forced to kind of look at their adaptability in the pandemic? And do you think that your model has been able to help people provide extra support to those who might be struggling to change and to maybe work from home during the pandemic? It's a really interesting point in terms of an external change can often force then a burning platform to create a, you know, a transition or a, a response to that that previously was only taken up by people who were maybe motivated by a burning ambition. So for example, Zoom existed before coronavirus happened. There were companies that were using it because they saw the advantage and gain and they were motivated maybe about the ambition of what was possible. Until something like COVID came along, many others weren't embracing that opportunity until there was no other choice. So it was a burning platform that then made them uh, go and explore these new technologies because they seeked the, you know, still wanting to meet other people, to collaborate, to have meetings. So I think what's happened with the pandemic is it's, yes, accelerated our use of some technologies, but it's also isolated us. It's isolated us in a way where it's difficult to pick up on the emotional impact of individuals. You know, all those subliminal things we pick up when we're in the same room is hard when we're doing that remote. You know, it's why this term, this phrase of Zoom fatigue is because we're working so hard to read somebody and understand and figure out what's really going on behind just that little video feed that's coming in. So, you know, with any big uh, intense change, such as the pandemic, it, it takes us out of maybe the three components of resilience. And if I just share what I mean by that, 
When a change or the intensity of a change is low, generally what happens is we absorb it, we cope, and so we persist in something. And so that's a sort of one phase and one component of our resilience. If then the intensity of change is a, a little bit bigger, and our coping uh, and to absorb that change is surpassed, we then might adapt. So we do an incremental adjustment and that's our sort of flexibility part coming in of our resilience. But then if the intensity of that change is so vast, what we need to do is transform and we need a transformative response. And that's where we've got a big challenge of a second wave of things like mental health impact. So we talk about burnout or boredom or isolation because it's so different to where we were before. And we might have coped for a little while. We might have made a few adaptive changes so we can cope with working from home whilst trying to homeschool, whilst trying to you know do other things. But now that transformation required to make it sustainable is for many a big leap, and that is causing quite a lot of friction. So one of the things we're focusing on is when you understand each of these different dimensions, it's a bit like standing on some weighing scales and you see where the needle is. Depending on what your goal is, the way you want to move that needle, and you learn about nutrition and exercise, you can make changes to move it. Our AQ is similar. We can make changes to move where that needle is. So that's one of the things we're helping within the pandemic is that once you know where you are, you know, without standing on the scales, it's hard to understand it. Whilst we can physically see weight, we can't physically see our adaptability, how someone's coping with that change. That's what our assessment does is bring it into the light so that you have got awareness and then give you some training and some methodologies in which to improve each of these areas. And do you think it's possible for people to become more resilient? And do you have any tips for people to become more resilient? 100%. Yeah, resilience is a learnable skill. It's trainable. And there's quite a few different activities that we can do to improve our resilience. And if I split them into two sections, we have kind of cognitive pathways and uh, techniques that we can do. And then we have behavioral pathways. So if we look at the cognitive thing, so this is mindful thought, and there's two areas. One is our emotional regulation. So are we reflecting? Are we sitting down and looking at what's happened and appraising the effects of that situation on our emotions? Are we journaling? Are we labeling those things? And are we having conversations? In terms of our cognitive training, that's things like mindfulness. And depending on how at risk you might be, you might need uh, additional therapies. And again, there's places that you can go uh, online and free apps to help with working on our biases or different things that can build up our resilience, our ability to bounce back from a setback. If we look at behavioral pathways, there's kind of three components to that. One is our physical health. So boosting our physical health can improve our resilience. So that's things like sleep, exercise, and good diet. You know, sleep is one of these master gifts that we've been given that help us in both physical and mental fitness and health and definitely affects our resilience. So our ability to, you know, bounce back quickly rather than, 
you know, it takes us a long time to bounce back to where we were before, or maybe next level of resilience is we are actually bouncing forward. So we're bouncing to a point better because of that setback. Some of the other parts of behavioral pathways that we advise is some simple pieces about connecting socially. So importantly, sharing um, those setbacks, sharing those failures with our team, with people around us, and individually looking for gratitude. Something that I do within my team and individually is, what am I grateful for today? Well, you know, every meeting that we have starts with a positive focus. Why has that been positive for that individual? And that helps build up positivity and positive expectations that increase our ability and our our resilience. So those are a few areas. In fact, on our site, we've got, you know, if people do their assessment, you get access to lots of different strategies to improve each of the different areas. I feel like in both those kind of themes you talked about, there's a lot of ways that corporates and companies can help their staff achieve that. Um, Julie Kill, do you have any examples of ways that corporations have been able to help their um, employees become more resilient in these two ways? Yeah, there's been quite a few uh, companies that we've been working with where resilience is, is one aspect. And of course, by doing an assessment, they can understand where the gaps and opportunities are. It may or may not be in resilience. It could be in unlearning. It could be in, you know, there's a um, a challenge around work stress, for example. And what are the interventions that are required by um, not just an individual? Because often it's been, ah, that's down to the individuals. It's their responsibility. But companies now can do something. They can provide the space and environment in which to allow change and people's ability to adapt um, as human beings around it. Often a lot of it is focused on the practical nature of it, the technical skills, i.e. we've got this new process, we've got this new software, and all of the training goes into the practicalities of how to become productive not in the challenges of adapting as a human, (laughs) you know, what was integral to maybe their identity or um, the way in which they gained confidence because they were able to perform something prior. How do you put support around them to do that? One of the great things that companies can do just by identifying it is put teams and collaborations together effectively because you can have a bit like the phrase of we're the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. Our adaptability is influenced by our surrounding. So if we can spend time with others that are perhaps higher skilled in certain areas, that will have a rub off effect on others that might need more support. So with companies being aware of that, they can communicate effectively. Uh, One of the things that we did see very successfully within a, a UN agency was just changing the communication around a change matched to their individual's motivation style meant that there was less resistance and less need for them to have resilience to overcome a setback because they didn't see it as a setback. So I'll perhaps explain that a little bit more because uh, a motivation style, so this is not what am I motivated by, i.e. money or success or fame. It's when going through change, what motivates me 
in order to follow through on that. So is it, as I said, a burning platform or a burning ambition? Am I motivated by security, not losing something that I already have? Or am I motivated by a, a gain? So that just alone within companies can help remove some friction around change. And that builds resilience because when there's less uh, friction, less pieces, they're more likely to be able to go through new change each time because they've had a positive experience of past change. That's really interesting. Um, I'd like to move on and talk a little bit more about you um, as an entrepreneur. And I was wondering if you have any advice for aspiring um, entrepreneurs. Yeah, I think being an entrepreneur, there's so much out there about you know, how difficult it is, how lonely it is. Um, and for me, having been an entrepreneur for over 20 years and involved in so many different businesses and the gift to me and the advice I would give is be very, very conscious about who you are sharing your time with. Um, and our mindset is what creates our reality. So how are we feeding that mindset? Whilst we need a few naysayers, you know, and people who can point out obstacles, having other entrepreneurs that you aspire to and be around can be mentored by and you can mentor in them is really important. So for me, getting a good coach, being in a good coach uh, community has been absolutely game-changing for me. So I joined something called Strategic Coach about eight years ago, and that completely shifted my whole ability to build, you know, purpose, freedom, you know, uh, focusing on the right relationships. So for me, it really is about the team and the people around me uh, is the bigger focus than um, many of the other aspects that entrepreneurs are facing in terms of, you know, our finance or the business model or uh, the idea itself uh, is that for me, having mindset aligned people around me, focusing on who, not how, uh, is the advice that I would um, share with people. I think that's really valuable. For um, people who want to hear more about what you have to say, you've written a book, Moonshot Innovation, How Can You Positively Impact a Billion People? Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your book? Yeah, a little bit more about my book. Well, it was really painful to do it. You know, <laughs> there's the, the view that everyone has a book inside them. Uh, I love talking. I love giving talks. I've spoken on loads of different stages around the world. And writing has never really been a skill that has been a strong suit of mine. But I, you know, really wanted to do this because I wanted to share stuff and learn along the way. So it took a couple of years to do my first book, uh, as you mentioned, Moonshot Innovation. And really it's set in three parts. So it's giving a sense of what exponential times we're living in. What are the sort of sci-fact, not sci-fi technologies that exist? What are some of the real stories of some game changers that are shifting the way, not the ones in the limelight, not necessarily the Elon Musk's and the Jeff Bezos's, but the others that have transformed their lives and have affected so many people. So I shine a light into what is happening with these 
inert exponential technologies and how you can harness them. The second part is then how can every person take a leadership role? What is exponential leadership and how do we get connected to our purpose? How do we build rapid experimentations? How do we, you know, leverage breakthroughs and 10x thinking? And then you know, some practical examples and practical methods for how to do these things. So I've worked with, you know, whether it's Unilever or startups to do radical innovation. And I share some of the practical tips, some of the, you know, worksheets and methodologies in order to do that. And then the third part really is taking a responsibility for the future you want so what's at stake? Why acting now is really important and how to, in my view, it's so important to think sustainably. That's about our social planet, you know, people, environment in what we create uh, so that the technology can be pointed in a way in which is additive to our future and not necessarily in conflict or as a um, scarce situation. So that was my first book. Um, I yeah, struggled through it, found it hard. And my second book, which is due out next year, is all around adaptability. And so it's called Decoding AQ. And I truly believe it is human's greatest superpower and something that is critical in the speed of change we're facing over the next decade to be able to successfully adapt to those situations. So we end up, you know, in a bright future, not in a dark room with sharp objects, because for me, that would be the worst result. Well, I really look forward to reading that when it comes out. Was the second one easier to write than the first one? Was the second book easier to write than the first one? Um, I think there was definitely some rhythm and format and discipline that uh, I learned from doing the first one. And I also, you know, the difference between being an author and a writer, I appreciated more and understood. So I'm an author where I found a writer that we then have, you know, weekly conversations on each of the chapters that I want to cover in the book and discuss and talk about it. And they're then able to write for me that I can then edit from. And that was a big learning was rather than struggling at something that I'm not particularly good at of the writing, uh, finding a way in which I either write who, who could help me manifest uh, my ideas into something that hopefully is enjoyable to read and makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And I'm super accessible on LinkedIn and um, looking forward to anybody who's interested in adaptability. You know, this is an emerging pioneering movement and we've got certification training programs on our model and how to leverage the information from the assessments. Uh, so if you're in charge of teams or you're a consultant or coach, then there's buckets of value and stuff uh, that you can check out on our site. Thank you so much to Ross for being on the podcast. I think he gave really practical advice, both for organisations, but also for individuals. And I'm so looking forward to reading his book when it comes out. If you'd like more thought leadership, head to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen out for the next Ambition podcast.